At this time, we have the joy and honor of uh, a lady that has, has impacted a nation. Now, she doesn't think so, but I think she's done incredible. It's somebody that I support personally, and we as a church does. I'm going to ask Natasha Shedrevaya. Pretty good? Pretty good? Yeah, because, man, I butcher it all the time because I'm trying. Y'all help me. So I'm going to ask y'all if y'all give a wonderful, all the way from Russia. Um, Miss Natasha, and also I've got to acknowledge your friend Tatiana, who's ever always here. Y'all, God bless her. She's in Jacksonville and comes and supports. So, tell us what God has for us this morning. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless. Thank you. Uh, well, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh, you can't imagine how honored I am every time when I come to this church. It's true honor, especially now, since the last year, since the beginning of the last year. You know, I refer to certain political events that are taking place over there. I cannot even say the word because in Russia it's so, you know, you can really be put to prison when you say just a war that we have. But um, you can't imagine how... Um, um, not just refreshing, it breathes life to me when I came last year, fall, and this year, the attitude of American people for me as a Russian. Because for the first time in my life, when people ask me here, where are you from? I am, how to say, hesitant because of the war. And because we are the ones that, uh, not me, but you know, I represent my nation, and uh, when I see the response from Americans as love and smiles, it just, it's like healing to me. It just tells me that there is, a, how to say, you know, there should be a different dimension of relationships, and this is what the kingdom of God provides. And when I am in America every time, you know what I sense and what I see. And I think it could be, it may be encouraging for you because here I am a person from the outside of America and I see the contrast in the system, how the system works. And I see everywhere here, wherever I go, the, how to say, I see the foundation that America was, was founded on. I see that although today it seems like the whole world is, in, is being shaken and all the systems, good, bad systems are being shaken, but still every time when I come here, I know, I see it and I know in my heart because of your foundation, how your country was based on, and it was based on biblical principles. It doesn't matter how through your life you may, you know, wander or go to, through different tests and troubles, you will always end up in the right destination because of the foundation. Foundation is so important. You see, in my country, we don't have that foundation. I really believe this is the, probably the most important time in my country where God really handed the destiny of Russia to Christians, to believers. Because our system is very different, political system. And so, 
what do you do when you live in a country where the laws are so different, where propaganda is so aggressive, where the system doesn't think about people, but thinks about only protecting its power, etc., etc. You wake up every day, especially now, I wake up every day and I remind myself the words of Jesus. Today I need to be wise as a serpent in what I say. Especially from the pulpit in Russia. You cannot say anything slightly political. Nothing. Because then, you know, you may end up in prison today. I cannot believe that I live in a time like that. I remember my great-grandfather was sent to Siberia because he had a Bible. It was Stalin's time. And uh, this, is, this is my heritage. I grew up in the f- uh, uh, three generations of atheists. Never knew that God existed. Just can you imagine you grow from childhood and you were, you know, well, listening to propaganda, you know, communist, socialism. There is no God. And um, when I was studying uh, foreign languages, Uh, Spanish and English at the university. In every university and in in every school in uh, the Soviet Union, there was a Soviet encyclopedia and next to Jesus Christ was written a mythical figure. So I grew up with this notion. Uh, Never seen a Bible in my life until I was 29. Uh, It was a time when Everything that communist system uh, propagated, it came kind of to the dead end. Gorbachev just became uh, the leader of the uh, communist party. And I was uh, graduating high school. And we were very, how to say, cynical about the whole system and the information that we were raised with. And we made jokes about uh, communist party leaders, etc. Because nothing worked. And then, this is what I've learned now as I look back. You see, you can live in the country that excludes God. And uh, you may be brainwashed from your childhood. But the moment you'll start thinking and asking questions, is there is all to life? Is that is all? Am I just like an animal was born into this earth and then will die and that's it? What's after? I mean, is there anything after death? The moment you start asking those questions, what is the meaning of life? The moment you start asking these questions, God is trying to reveal himself to you. You are on the right track. I remember, as I'm telling you this, I remember the answer of one lady. Uh, she belongs to a nation of Nenets and lives above the Polar Circle area where we have a wonderful mission work. Her name is Katya, Catherine, Katya. She was born in Tandra. In her parents, um, you know, with that hut uh, made of deer skins, they move through tundra with their deer herd. Every three days they move to a new place because deers are eating uh, moss, uh, they're digging moss under the snow. And so they move 
every three days to another area. And so I asked her. She never heard about God, never. There is idol worship there. There is a lot of shamanism there. And I asked her, Katya, have you ever thought when you were a child in Tundra that there could be a creator, a God? And you know what was her answer? She said, I've never heard the gospel, never thought about, you know, she didn't know about Jesus anything. But in summer, when we would bring deer herd to Karskaya Sea, that's the northern, northern sea, and she loves Tundra very much. And she said, I would like, I liked to come outside, go to the seashore, look at the stars and at the sea. And the question would come into my mind, the thought, there should be someone who created all this beauty. She didn't know anything about God, anything about Jesus. And I thought, this is exactly how God was uh, knocking at the heart of Abraham when he was still in that land of Ur, of Chaldean. This is exactly, he was, you know, for some reason Abraham was coming out of his tent in that land of his fathers and he was looking at the stars and he was looking at the sand and he was thinking about is there, is this as all to life? And then God starts revealing himself to you. So, my father was a communist. Well, everybody had to be a communist if you wanted to kind of make a career in life uh, in the Soviet Union. For 28 years, he was uh, the officer in the Soviet Army, political officer, teaching communist ideology to soldiers. He believed in what he taught. And when the um, Soviet Union fell apart, it's amazing how you can build something for 70 years that doesn't have God in the center. It can be dissolved and destroyed in a moment. Isn't, isn't it something? But in the process, you think that you build something, you know, that is based on ideology, on propaganda. You think that it's solid and it just has future. But if there is no God in it, I mean, it's doomed and in one moment, everything was destroyed. And my, it was a tragedy for my father because it's everything he believed just vanished. And so he started drinking. Uh, he was a very kind and good man. He was just sincere in what he was doing. And uh, I was asking questions about the meaning of life and God revealed to me through himself, through our lady that was a colleague at my work. I was a school teacher teaching foreign languages at a public school and she was a literature, a Russian literature teacher. And so one day she invited me to her home and shared the testimony. She was a young mother of three and she was married, wonderful, happy family. And then suddenly she started having headaches, severe, very heavy headaches. And then she went to the doctor and they told her she had a tumor. And it was cancer. And they couldn't do anything because, you know, poor, the medicine uh, was, medical service was very poor in the Soviet Union, etc. So they just couldn't help her. She was left to die. I mean, she was young, not even 30 years old, 20-something. And... Uh, she went through all the 
extrasensories and, and uh, uh, you know, the old babushkas, as we call ladies, who kind of did kind of like a witchcraft, nothing helped. The last person that she went to was her aunt, aunt who was a member of underground Pentecostal church. And she called her and she said, well, I don't have anyone to, you know, ask for help anymore. And she said, I will take you to church. And she took my friend to church, and right there, she prayed, she repeated a prayer, accepting Jesus into her heart, and everybody blessed her and prayed for her, and right there, in the middle of, in front of everybody, the tumor shrunk, and pain immediately was gone. And she was miraculously healed. So she was telling me this testimony, and of course, I didn't believe Anything, I thought it was kind of a something, you know, sometimes things like that may happen, but it doesn't uh, mean that there is God. And it doesn't mean that God, you know, can do it, perform a miracles. So she tried to convince me about the existence of God, and I, of course, fought with her and uh, argued with her. She invited me a second time. Second time, I was thinking already, okay, one friend less. Uh, 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 <laughs> In my life, I'm not going to see her again. So I told her, please don't call me, don't invite me anymore. When I'm ready, I will first contact you. And she got a little bit angry. She was a young Christian, a little bit angry. And so she handed me this Christian magazine printed by Russian Baptists in Sacramento, California. And somehow shipped to the former Soviet Union. At that time, all mail was still searched by KGB, etc. It was the very first Christian literature in my life. I left her apartment. Later, she told me, when I closed the door behind you, I, told, I went to pray and I told God, God, there is no hope for Natasha. She is going to hell. <laughs> and she didn't even pray for me. <laughs> I guess sometimes we know when we try too hard to do some good things for our close ones, and when finally we are, I say, feel ourselves helpless with them, sometimes we give up on them. But this is when God starts doing His part, and that's the most important part. And so, as I got on the bus to go back to my apartment, I read this magazine from cover to cover because I have never seen anything like that. And I, it was interesting to me. I was still convinced that there is no God, but I've never read anything like that. I mean, there were a lot of articles uh, about Jesus, you know, quoting scripture. And of course, I've never seen Bible, so I didn't know even what the word verse such and such, chapter such and such, the book of you know, Hebrew, I didn't know what it mean, meant. So at the end, there was a Lord's Prayer uh, and the address of this uh, mission that printed this magazine. So at home, I was going through this magazine over and over, and then I decided to write a letter to the editor. Uh, the letter was very short. I introduced myself and then listed all the questions. I wrote to him, my name is Natasha Shedrivaya. I'm 29 years old. I don't believe that God exists. If he existed, then why? And I listed all those questions that often, you know, many atheists have. I mailed it to Sacramento, California, knowing inside that the letter probably will not even 
cross the border of our country. So I thought that, you know, the KGB won't let it. But it was the already when Gorbachev was the leader of the country. So things were different already. I forgot about this letter. Two months later, I receive a package. Uh, I, I get this, how to say, the little paper that tells me that in the post office, there is a package for me. I was going to my work, to public school, and on the way to work, I stopped at the post office, got this package, and I read the return address. It's Sacramento, California. The mission that publishing this literature. And I couldn't wait until I come home from work on the way, on the way to the bus stop to get a bus to go to my work. I opened this package and the first book that I saw was a blue small Bible in Russian. The first Bible in my life. I opened the first page and I read, in the beginning God created the heaven and earth. And I tell you one thing, you can be brainwashed, you can live in a closed dictatorial system, you can be brainwashed from your childhood, but if you start looking for the truth, the moment you read or see or hear, you immediately inside, you recognize it. So there is something in you that just tells you this is the truth. And this is what I felt when I read that verse, I knew this is the truth. It's just amazing how God created us. It doesn't matter where you live if you start looking for more than just little existence. You know, here on the earth, God will find ways how to reveal himself to you. And then from this time on, every two weeks, I would get another package. They were so consistent. Every two or every three, two or three weeks, I would get another package. There would be newspapers, Christian newspapers. There would be brochures. There would be books. Soon, well, I read all of them because I've never, you know, read anything like that. So the seed was sown in me. And then one day I received a letter. I Look at the return address. It's Sacramento, California. But a name, the first and the last name, is American. It's not the Russian immigrants, you know, to whom I wrote the letter. So I opened the letter, and this man was saying, Dear Natasha, my name is so-and-so. Last Sunday, I decided to visit, visit this Russian Baptist church that is not far from me. I came to this church, and at the book stand, I met Nikolai Vadnevsky. Tatiana probably knows him. He is a legendary person. He was the editor of the magazine to whom I wrote that letter. And he said, I met Nikolai, and we start talking, and then suddenly he pulled your letter out of his jacket pocket. And he gave it to me and he said, pray for her. She, is, she lives in the Soviet Union. She is an atheist. She doesn't believe God exists. Now, when I read these lines, I start crying because I never thought that this editor of the magazine would carry my letter in his pocket and pray for me. That my, he didn't throw my letter 
in the garbage. He carried it. You know, for a Soviet person who lived in the system where, you know, our leaders, political leaders, had this saying, there are no irreplaceable people. That's very, you know, every Russian knows that saying. There are no irreplaceable people. You grow with this and you think that your life means nothing. If not you, then there will be another person. You means nothing. And here is this editor was carrying my letter in his pocket. And he gave this letter to an American. Well, my father was an ide ideology uh, teacher. And so ideology at that time was such that America was our enemy, ideological enemy. <laughs> so here God chooses America to send the first Bible to me. If not for those people from Sacramento, I would never knew anything about God, about Jesus. Then this letter, this American man was writing. So he gave me a letter and I'm praying for you. The last sentence in this letter changed my life. He said, I want you to know that I'm praying for you and God loves you. I mean, this is something that we put at the end of every letter or say at the end of, you know, our, um, you know, conversation. So it touched my heart so much. You know, in Russia, we have a saying, it was the last drop in my overfilled cup. <laughs> so I ran to the phone and I called my friend, the one that said, God, there is no hope for Natasha. <laughs> I called her and I said, listen, I got a letter. He's American, from American. And of course, for me, it was very, I have to say, interesting to get this letter because I was teacher of, Engl of English, just for, even for English's sake. But then, when, I, when you start listening, you know, just like this precious brother was saying, you know, you, you can be an atheist in three generations, but once you start paying attention <laughs> when you read the scripture, then the miracle happens. You can hear you know, the, the sermons, but when you start paying attention, then God starts touching your heart and change happening and miracles happen. So anyway, she invited me to church tomorrow. Tomorrow was Sunday. She invited me to the church. We went to the church and God opened my eyes right there in the church in that underground. Now they were already above the ground because the freedom started uh, coming. And so... Can you imagine, here I was, 29, 30 years old, high education, uh, graduated university. I thought that I was a smart person and knew what was important in life. And here, sitting at the balcony of that church, Pentecostal church, my eyes opened, spiritual eyes opened. And suddenly, I just know that there is God. He always been there. How could I be so blind? I mean, I could not believe. I mean, that's a transformation. I mean, I was crying and whispering, and I was talking. I guess I was talking to God. I considered myself an atheist, and here I was talking to God, and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you existed. If I knew, if I've known you existed, I would follow you, but I didn't know you existed. I'm so sorry. And here was an altar call. And I said to my friend, I want to go up front. She didn't expect that. She thought that I will, I just came just to show, because I wanted her to see that letter from an American that I received. And she couldn't believe 
And so finally we were at the altar and the pastor led me to the Lord. And I tell you, the tradition was you need to kneel down. The moment I got up from my knees, I felt like the burden of the sins of the whole world was lifted. I was absolutely new person. That's, that's a, you know, that's a beauty of uh, uh, the miracle that God does, a miracle of new birth. I mean, it's not just, you know, it's not just that we come to church, everything about Jesus and our relationship, it's not a bad person to become a good person. It's dead person become a live person. I mean, that's the radical change that happens with every Christian that comes to Jesus as the only source of life and uh, eternal life. So since that time, uh, God opened doors for me to be interpreter for first American missionaries that came to uh, the former Soviet Union and then former Soviet Union fell apart. It was Russia. And this is where I met uh, John and Gail in, uh, first in Yelgava and then in Moscow, Yelgava, Latvia, where American missionaries started the first Bible school, and then in Moscow, and uh, we just, we know that it's God's eternal connection, and it's beautiful, you know, the relationship that God brings into our life, it's, they last for eternity, it's beautiful, so, um, at the end of the 90s, I already was traveling to the churches and ministering. Uh, one of very few women uh, ministers. And uh, at the end of the 90s also, I think in 1998 or 9, I was elected to be the president of Fellowship of Russian Churches, Calvary Fellowship of Russian Churches. And God gave us a vision, gave us a vision to win for Jesus, villages, remote areas, and um, small people's groups or that populate Russia. And the most successful work that we have, and later you'll be able to see the pictures that um, I want you know, to comment, but um, there are over 120 small people's groups that populate Russia. Some of them speak their own language and Russian, of course, also. All of them speak Russian, which makes it easy for us to bring literature and preach the gospel. But um, this vision, uh, I realized how dear it is to God's heart because God goes after the most forsaken and forgotten people. You know, uh, when Isaiah says that God wants to give us treasures, I don't know the English version, but in Russia it says, I will give you treasures kept in darkness. I love that. Because God sees in any darkness, he sees people. In any tragic events, in, in the midst of tragic events, he sees hearts of people. And so our mission is to Go with God after those treasures, because people are treasures. Uh, the vision that God gave us is to reach villages and uh, small people's groups all across Russia. 
since that time we've been training missionaries, doing evangelism in the villages, buying for our missionaries vans, snowmobiles, um, boats, in order to go and reach their own in their regions, among their uh, nationalities. We also would place a gospel library in every newly started village church. They are small churches. They're, most of them are home churches. People know each other. You know, the beauty of it is that evangelism and discipleship are not separated there. I think this is where church, probably modern church, missed because we separated evangelism and discipleship. Because we went after mass evangelism, and I believe in mass evangelism. I love mass evangelism. Wonderful. As long as we take those people in a discipleship process immediately. Because the success of evangelism is not in that moment when people say the prayer, Jesus come into my heart. No, this is not the success. The success of evangelism is when those who accepted Jesus choose to become followers of Jesus. That's when evangelism is successful. That's why I cannot, today I cannot separate evangelism and discipleship. You know, I believe in the mass evangelism, but I don't believe in the mass discipleship. There should be relationships. And I tell you, the most effective evangelism is relationship evangelism. Is friendship evangelism. And this is what we, it's possible, at least it, it's possible in Russia. We cannot do mass evangelism because the laws don't forbid us, don't, forget, uh, don't allow us uh, to do that. So it's all about relationship, which is fine because the most wonderful stories that we read in the Bible and the Gospels are the stories of personal evangelism. When Jesus would talk to people and reveal himself to a woman of Samaria, to Zacchaeus, to Peter in the boat. Can you imagine how beautiful it is when you not just share the gospel, but you take this person under the wing and you help them, you, how to say, help them understand what just has happened to them. Because people deserve to know. What does it mean? That prayer, Jesus come into my heart. What does it mean, new birth? What does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? That's very, very important. So our vision is, is called Village Gospel Harvest. And so since that time when we started to uh, uh, fulfill that, realize that vision, we gave away already around 50 snowmobiles and cars and vans and boats, not only in Russia, but in uh, uh, Georgia, the country of Georgia, in uh, Belarus, uh, in Armenia. And uh, it's amazing how uh, through the years we see today the fruit of how nationals bring forth the harvest in their own regions. And so I want to share with you a few lessons that I've learned this last years, couple years. And I hope they will encourage you and then we'll see the picture report from uh, the regions. You know, since the 
war started last year against Ukraine. It was so painful for us, for uh, Christians and believers, because we are brothers and sisters and we have relatives there and it's just so evil and so unfair. I cannot ex explain and describe how betrayed I felt when uh, the government started the war and helpless sometimes. But then God encouraged me to go back to the scripture and reread. I reread all the Old Testament prophets. I reread all the uh, teachings of Jesus because it's, some, it's like it was revealed in a new perspective, in a new dimension to me. For example, one of the lessons I've learned this last year. I read Matthew 24, and you know, you all know this chapter. It's about the signs of the last times when disciples asked Jesus, what are the, the signs of the last times? And he was talking about earthquakes and rumors of war and pandemics, etc. Well, you see, in Russia and Ukraine, it's not rumors anymore. It's war. And so then there is a verse that says, and when the lawlessness abounds, the love of many, he means Christians, believers, will grow cold. And I suddenly understood what he meant. Because this is what I was going through. When you start, when I start paying attention at lawlessness that was happening around me, suddenly I start feeling indignation toward those who do lawlessness. Then I start feeling I had a desire for revenge and justice against those who started that lawlessness. And then I came to a point when I start feeling even hatred. And it, I got scared. And God told me, challenged me, he said, you remember, you read the scripture in Old Testament, and through all those prophets, there is one thought, I don't want a sinner to die. I don't want a sinner to die. That's why, you know, God, how to say, uses turmoil and those tragic situations in order for sinners to turn to him in those painful and tragic times because he doesn't want sinners to die. So he challenged me and he said, now, with all indignation and desire for justice and uh, almost hatred, can you preach the gospel to those who do evil? To your president. Boy, I said, no, I'm not qualified to do that because I don't have love. I don't have love for him. And he said, so whom shall I send? Because I am interested not in bringing justice. I am interested in changing evil heart into a good heart. Do you understand that we, the moment devil pulls us on the level of demanding justice, he gets us. It's so easy to be influenced by the system and the world. 
Here Jesus comes and he says, love your enemies. Well, it's easy to preach about it, but when you live in the country where things are happening, tragic things are happening, and you have a real chance to love real enemies, <laughs> you think they are enemies. And you start checking your heart and you realize, God, I need being filled with your love, agape love. It's not just preaching, it's practicing now. And I tell you, I went through the whole process and I repented and I said, God, I know that changes, the real changes in our lives are never political. They are spiritual. The real change, it's the change that happens, starts happening here. The real peace doesn't start when the wars end. And political politicians sign the peace treaty. No. The real peace starts when Jesus comes into your heart. And he brings peace. And then once you have peace in your heart and Jesus in your heart, you will never want to start a war. And in other words, when Jesus came, he challenged the thinking that we need to demand, bless God, you know, justice on this world. Since Genesis chapter 3, things are different on the earth. Since Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, you know, I understand why things are not the way they are supposed to be. Yeah, that explains everything. The fall explains everything. But Jesus comes and he says, you belong to a different kingdom. You can love, I give you love for the enemies, true love, God's love, sacrificial love. And you can stop violence by not responding violently to a violence, but responding in love. That stops violence. At least it will not go through you. You stop it by pouring love. I've learned that I need to walk in love in the time like this. In love especially, not for those who love me, that's easy, but for those whom it's so easy not to love. That's time for, to practice that. Then the next lesson I've learned was, is that... You can, live in a very, you can live very comfortable life on the earth. And in one moment, this comfortable life can be just eliminated by certain political events, and that's it. And you know what I've learned this last year and a half? We are so, I don't know about America, but in Russia, we are so tied to this earth and the comfort on the earth. We even come to God and we hope that I became a Christian because now he will bless me here on the earth and my happiness and provide my happiness here on the earth. We forget that our primary task on the earth is to save the world, save people, preach the gospel. Since Genesis chapter 3, there will not be stability on the earth. Apostle Paul writes so wonderfully about it. He says, well, I'm used, you know, to, I learned to be content when I have abundance and when I have lack. 
Because there is no stability in this, in this world after Genesis chapter 3. So, but I find my contempt, contempt with Jesus. I find my comfort with Jesus. And I am on a mission. I've learned that our priorities are we are on a mission first. And all the rest of our life is just something that is added to us. God will bless our lives on the way on a mission. My spiritual mother would say, Julie Norris, Dor Dorothy Jean, and Pastor Ligon, you know them. Uh, Julie Norris, she would tell me, I'm on a mission, and by the way, I'm going to the store. <laughs> Wherever she would go, she would tell, I'm on a mission, and by the way, she was doing you know, things she needed to do. I've learned today that there is nothing on this earth that can hold me back. Uh -uh. You can lose everything on the earth. But you cannot lose the kingdom of God. You can lost, cannot lose Jesus. So I choose to focus on that and build on that. You know, when you read Hebrews chapter 11 and all the heroes of faith, you know one common thing that they have. They were not bound and tied to an earthly happiness. I love the story of Abraham in Hebrews 11. It says about, you know, about, you know, his uh, faith and trust to God when he was believing God for a son and he, his faith when he was sacrificing Isaac. But then the last thing that God mentioned was that when finally Abraham came to the promised land that God gave him as inheritance, he didn't even fold his tents. He continued living in tents in his own land. Because by that time, when he arrived to the promised land, he knew that his true land and true home was up there. And he lived like a guest in his own land. I mean, that really speaks to us in Russia today, honestly, because things are so different today there. And I'm asking myself a question. What, you know, these are the times when you really revise your priorities and values. Is Jesus is everything in your life? Is he the source of your happiness? Then no one can steal it from you. No one can... Um, Take away him from your heart and your faith. You know, government can take your job from you. They can take your son and send him to die. They can take your life. They cannot take your love, Jesus. Mm -mm. What do you do? I mean, what do you do in a different system where the laws are against you? You go and look at Jesus. And you cannot demand justice there. You just learn to love your enemies. This is what Jesus told us to do. What else have I learned? I've learned that in the most tragic times, God is doing very often the most important work. I really believe in Russia we live in the most strategic time today. You can't imagine how open 
desperate and open people offer the gospel, especially young men because they are all in fear. They don't want to go to war and die. They are all listening to the gospel and they all accept Jesus. Nothing like that before. We go to the villages, oh, how people live there. It just, you, it's hard to explain in what violence and alcoholism is there. For children, they grow up in hell. No wonder they don't value their life. So when we come, you see, government doesn't think about them. And when we come and preach the gospel and help them buy two trucks, load trucks, truck loads of wood to heat their homes in winter. Two big trucks of wood. You know, they cannot make money to buy that wood. We help them because it's so much poverty. You help them because you support our vision and, you know, with your help, we are helping those people. I really believe that this is a time when God entrusted Russia in the hands of Christians who know Jesus because the change starts when you start preaching the gospel to people one person at a time and God touches their heart and they believe and give their life to the Lord and then the evil heart is changed into a good one. One heart at a time, one heart at a time. This is how Russia is being changed. This is how America is, you know, is being changed and was uh, uh, founded on these principles. I believe this is how the world can be changed. When we preach the gospel, we do what we are called to do. There is only one mission on this earth for us. It's to save the world. That's number one. Because people are still going to hell if they don't hear the gospel. If they don't give their heart to the Lord. If they are not born again. And this is what God does through us right there in Russia. So I appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your partnership. And uh, now I would like for us to see the um, pictures, and I will comment them. Because these pictures, it's not just praise reports. These are the fruit of your partnership. And, uh, uh, and this uh, picture, this, this is... this. Uh, trips were made this year. Just in the beginning of this year, you see I'm standing uh, and there is a uh, port on River Yenisei. It's above the polar circle area, Peninsula Taimir, minus 45 Celsius. I tell you, the most warm coat that I have, it feels like I'm in a summer dress there, <laughs> honestly. And uh, look, look at the second picture where I am trying to get through the stairs. They just don't um, remove the snow. There is no place there where you can remove that snow because there is snow everywhere. So they just kind of put it as, pushed it aside and we just go through tunnel. <laughs> you know? And so let's go to another picture. It's Taimir and it's the town of Dudinka. It's kind of administrative center of Taimir, Taimir Peninsula. The first picture is two ladies, Katya and Masha. Katya is the one that I was telling you. The one that grew up, their sisters, they grew up in Tundra and Katya was telling about how she was looking at the stars and Tantra and asking questions about God, etc. They are the key leaders. Through them, many Tantra people are coming to the Lord. 
and the other pictures, it's their clan. I did women's seminars for nationals, for nationals, for women from the nation of Nenets. The first women's ever event in their life because the culture is such that women are not valued there. So, but once those people see the true change in the life of their relatives, then they come to the Lord, the whole clans come to the Lord. Let's go to another picture. This just for you to know, to see the atmosphere, the seminars for women. We dress them, we put makeup, we brought them from Tundra. Some of them came uh, by helicopter, some of them came uh, by snowmobiles. We uh, provided everything for them and we dressed them, we put makeup on them and they felt beautiful themselves. Let's go to another picture. Now, uh, we gave them books as a present and jewelry. And jewelry was the angels, beautiful angels that, um, how do you say, the pendant, pendant angels, beautiful. For some women, it was the first piece of jewelry in their life, beautiful. Uh -huh. Let's go to another picture. Now, this is a different region. It's a central Russia, Kirov region. And every year we do kind of a seminars for pastors from churches around. The strategic position of that particular, particular uh, place is that it borders, Kirov region is Russian, uh, but it borders with uh, Muslim Tatarstan and pagan Udmurtia. So the first couple, older couple, is uh, Victor and Natalia. They are in Kirov region, small village church. They became parents for many teenagers and children that grew up in alcoholic homes. Just wonderful, wonderful, like spiritual parents, and, and bringing those children to their apartment, feeding them, hugging them. Beautiful uh, people and beautiful church. The second couple are the pastors in Udmurtia, pagan Udmurtia. What I mean pagan is that historically there, um, I say there, um, uh, there is a witchcraft and there is a poverty in that, in that nation also. But they're hardworking leaders, and in order for them to preach the gospel before they preach the gospel to people, they need first to help them physical, in physical labor, to plow the fields of their neighbors, to clean the barns, etc., etc. So they're very respected and loved, wonderful missionaries and pastors. Let's go to another picture. Now, the first is a lady from northern Siberia. Northern Siberia, she came to the seminars. Pastor Allah, naturally, was born in Crimea, moved to Russia, and started several churches in northern Siberia. For you to understand, Siberia and uh, above the Polar Circle area are different uh, areas. Siberia is east of Russia. It's not north, it's east. Uh, north is, um, you know, the, above the polar circle area, extreme. And uh, they are different even in climate. Siberia has a fluffy snow. Above the polar circle area has icy snow. So for Siberia, we buy Russian snowmobiles. 
for timer we buy Japanese snowmobiles because of the you know hard hard snow roads etc they break easily and our you know our, everything our cars vans and snowmobiles have warranty from factory to the gates and then then they start falling apart but the good thing is they never die you can fix them in the middle of nowhere you can just fix them with anything okay now the next the next picture of a pastor, Alexei, he was a host. Uh, it's his living room. He has a home church and wonderful leader, overseer. And uh, the next picture is Vladimir and Galina. They are from the nation of Chuvash. Chuvash is the only area in Russia that officially uh, accepted as uh, paganism as the official religion. It means that they worship, you know, wind and what, you know, sun, etc., etc. Now, uh, Valudia and uh, Galina, they are like parents, and also in, in the village, you have to work hard, labor, physical labor, helping each other, helping neighbors in order for them to start listening to you. So they are wonderful people. Why I want you to see that? Because you are helping to do this work. We help them, we buy uh, whatever they need, you know, if they need transportation, if they, if they need wood for heating, if they need, you know, to whatever they need at home or uh, instruments for plowing and toiling the earth. So let's go to another picture. This is just a picture how we prayed for everybody at the end, for all the uh, uh, ministers and for each other. Let's go to another picture. Now, this picture is very unique. Those who sit at the table are three leaders of youth in the villages. Aliona, Lilia, and Sergei. And we laid hands of them, on them, all the leaders, women leaders. Uh, uh, we laid hands of the, on them and we prayed and blessed them. Because most of the young people, they leave villages and they move to the big cities to find the jobs, etc. But these three decided to devote their life to preach the gospel among young people in the villages. And we encouraged them to rely on God and his provision. Let's go to another place. Okay, th this picture is just from the last water baptism in my church, 120 kilometers outside Moscow, in the small town of Luharitsa. And the reason why I want you to see this picture, because all five of those are Young, young, young men and women. Some of them, a uh, few ladies are teenagers and then just 16, 17, 18 years old, which is very, it's, it's, you know, it's remarkable. It's beautiful because young people want to follow Jesus. Not just be churchgoers, but they want to follow Jesus. Let's, and, and so we do it in summer, usually water baptism. Um, if it's winter, then we do it in the apartment, in the bathtub. But everybody is waiting for summer because we can go on the lake and do it very solemnly and beautifully. Let's go to another picture. And I, we, of course, we had a service. I preached and we praised God, etc. Beautiful. People who came, because it was Sunday, so a lot of people who came just to, uh, for the day off, to swim and just have a picnic, unbelievers, and they stop and they listen to us. Okay, let's go to another place. Now, this picture is one of the churches next to China. I want you to know that there is a, I mean, a huge church, probably over a thousand members, uh, a lot of guys from with a criminal past, 
And the pastor invited me to come and teach how to present the gospel. Um, the town of Blagoveshensk is right on the border with China. When I arrived there, my phone switched to international mode and sent me a text message, welcome to China. <laughs> I, had, I had to buy a local SIM card in Blagoveshensk. Okay, let's go to another place, to another picture. Uh, and to another one. That's a women's event, a, a women's conference that I had in my church. And the reason why I want you to see this picture, because the lady, the guest uh, speaker, let's go to another picture. The lady, Nina Rihovskaya, is a woman of a bishop of the union that we belong to. She grew up in an underground church. Her parents were in prison for their faith. Uh, several times. Her husband's pair, father was three times in prison. In general, 18 years in prison because he was a leader in an underground church. And she shared the testimony. And uh, this conference was so significant because it's almost like God welcomed us into the legacy of Christianity in the former, in the former Soviet Union because we have a legacy, underground church that paid, paid such a high price. It was a very special time. And so she wanted everybody to kneel down and pray because she said, this is how we prayed in underground church, always on the knees. So let's go to another. That's Georgia, the country of Georgia. I visited also country of Georgia. And you are partners with our, it's one of the most successful evangelistic works in uh, uh, in the former Soviet Union. Wonderful missionaries. We bought six uh, vans and two cars through the years in uh, Georgia. This is a central church in the capital of Tbilisi. Uh, I was preaching and pastor was interpreting for me because they speak uh, Georgian language. Let's go to another. And uh, this is in western Georgia, Pastor Gela. And widow, uh, pastor's widow, um, uh, Nargiza, her uh, husband was uh, like apostle. He started a work in Western Georgia, and he went to be with the Lord, but the work continues through our missionaries. Let's go to another picture. And this, uh, I call them Priscilla and Aquila of Georgia. Ia and Gia. Her name is Ia. His name is Gia, and their son, spiritual son, Timothy Bejani. Last year, we bought for Bejani and uh, Devizi, another young man, two cars, because they were walking to the villages, riding bicycle to the villages. You helped us to provide vehicles to those wonderful missionaries, very effective missionaries. Let's go to another. Now, this couple months ago, uh, Russian uh, village pastors gathered money. Can you imagine? Russian village pastors gathered money and sent to Georgia to buy this sound equipment for them that they use on the streets. And I, I want you to see two day, uh, a couple of year, days ago I got the report from them how they do village, uh, street evangelism with this sound equipment. Can we see the
<laughs> that, that's uh, the moment when they were praying the prayer of accepting Jesus into your heart. You see, they, in Georgia, you can do a mass evangelism right in the street. And how many children, how many teenagers and their parents. And the equipment, you see the equipment they use on the side. So, uh, and the next picture, I just want to boast. This year, I became a grandmother. <laughs> This is Timothy. He will be four months old. My son got married last year. And so it's, I, I also experience a new dimension of God's love in my, in my um, grandson. Someone in, a, in one of the American churches that I ministered a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was telling about my grandson, Timothy. And the lady said, well, you know, sometimes you wonder why God doesn't give us first grandchildren. And I, you know what I answered her? I said, no, God has a perfect timing. By the time we need a lot of emotional healing, he gives us grandchildren. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I was too, my, I'm sorry for my English. I'm sorry that a little bit longer, you know, in Russia we can preach for hours. This is what, <laughs> well, anyway. But uh, I really am very grateful to you for your prayers. America has always been a part of my life. I love, it's my second home. I know that because of your foundation, God will always bless this nation. You are always a giving nation. My first Bible was sent from America. My father finally was led, was led to the Lord by an American pastor. My mother came to know the Lord also, and I'm very grateful. Thank you for your partnership. Pastor, it's an honor to me, for me to be here. And Pastor Bill Ligon and Dorothy Jean, I love you all and I appreciate you. We need your prayers, and let's do God's great commission. You here, us there, because this is all, all that is matter today, especially. God bless you and thank you and may God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.